hidden behind closed doors. This is Beardy Movies. This is Jason. And I'm Michael. Michael, what are we discussing today on our 50th episode? This is episode number 50. Cheers. Cheers. To 50. Wow. To 50. Well, we have a great one. I picked Kiss Me Deadly, 1955, directed by Robert Aldrich, starring Ralph Meeker. It's based on Mickey Spillane's book, starring Mike Hammer as the protagonist. It's a film noir, one of my favorites. Jason, what are we drinking? Today, we're drinking Three Weavers Deep Roots Amber Ale. They're sponsoring this episode. They sure are. I'm a huge fan of this brewery. I've been known them for a while, and I think we discussed this. Kiss Me Deadly is considered one of the most quintessential L.A. noirs, and we both said, it's got to be an L.A. beer. Absolutely. So I went there out of Inglewood. They were extremely excited to sponsor us. So I thought Deep Roots was nice. He seems to have deep roots in the community. And it's, I think it's, I love Especially in the underworld. Yeah. Well, I mean, in in the professional world too. It seems that everybody knows kind of Mike Hammer and his shifting And LA has a lot of deep roots of nastiness. Yes. You know, like most big cities. I love this beer. I really do. It's an amber. It's got that malty, malt forward, a little bite at the end, a little bitterness, a little caramely. You know, what do you think? I like it. It's 5.2%. Super Um, drinkable. Oh, absolutely. I think they they use the term session beer these days. They use uh, heirloom British malts. Reminds me of like an English bitter, almost some English pub ale in a way. Very tasty. It's it's one of those I think we were talking about. It's not that I, you know, we're encouraging excess drinking, but it's one where you buy a six pack and you go, I'm going to have a few because it's not that big. Very drinkable. You could sit down, barbecue, watch a couple film noirs. Yeah, maybe have a little bourbon on the side. I think Mike Hammer, he's a hard alcohol type of guy. Absolutely. I mean, throughout the movie, there are times where he does drink a man's wine. And he does drink some beer. He does drink some beer. (laughs) He he finishes a lot of people's drinks. (laughs) It's very interesting. It's a curious thing. We'll get to that. But he also also finishes a bottle of bourbon. So, no, but I I love this. And you you saw it for our noir special? I watched it for our noir special. Okay. So that wasn't your first time around. Was not. And I thoroughly, when we did our noir, noir special... I really enjoyed this movie. It's hugely influential on the French New Wave. This is a movie that you'll see references to three movies off the top of my head. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Pulp Fiction, and Repo Man. And even David Lynch's Lost Highway. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's certain shots. Ernest yeah. Laszlo, who did the, who's a director of photography, he was pretty much a legend. And, and you see it in this. The, the camera work is amazing. It's that classic noir, a lot of odd angles, high contrast shadows and light, just deep, deep focus. The camera work's amazing. He, he actually worked with Robert Aldrich on a number of movies. This was done by a no-name Park Lane Pictures production company for a $410,000. I mean, completely B-movie at that time. But it's so stylish. It's super cool. I mean, we we're, we're, I was watching it with Jane, and then when you get to Mike Hammer's apartment, I mean, it's it's way cool. His Everything he has is nice. You see that he's, he's doing a good living. And she even said, like, people are looking for this today. Certain styles, they come back. And very superficial. His money is spent on the trappings of coolness and wealth. I mean, he has Yeah, but a... tell me you wouldn't want to live in his apartment. <laughs> tell me that you wouldn't mind living in that apartment. In that apartment building, 10401 Wilshire Boulevard, it still stands. You can it's go and cool. see it. It's often described as like the most Los Angeles yeah. of film noirs. Yeah. So We should do a spoiler alert. Total gonna, spoiler alert. Because we're going to discuss this entire movie. Absolutely. Good call. <laughs> we can't get into you know unraveling the plot too much because we went over this, and it is highly, highly 
convoluted. There's a lot going on. Essentially, though, you have a Mike Hammer, who's a, a PI, picks up a lady in the middle of the night. Cloris Leachman, yeah. actually, in one of probably one of her earliest roles. It, it is, it's I introducing it's, it's her, Cloris Leachman. Oh, yes, it is. So, and she's a dish. She is a dish, but she's also in a trench coat running down the road in the middle of the night. In Calabasas, California, somewhere. She's got a trench coat and nothing else. Yeah. And she finally, she's trying to get people to stop. She jumps in front of his car. He goes off the road. It's really, it's a great piece of characterization, Jason, because right off the bat, you get an idea of who and what Mike Hammer is because he's not going, hey, is everything all right? It's the middle of the night and there's a woman barefoot with nothing underneath her coat. He's not concerned at all. He yells at her about his car. He said, yeah. you know, you almost told my car. And then and then he just kind of looks at her and just says, get in. This is a morally ambivalent character. He's a, he's a pretty vicious dude. Ralph Meeker's amazing. I wish they had done a whole series of Mike Hammer movies with him because he is so good. But it never really did any more noirs after this. No. So, but he picks this chick up and they're driving and he's trying to figure out a little bit. He thinks he knows. That's the thing. Mike Hammer is one of those guys. I think he thinks he's the smartest guy in every room he walks into. And he knows exactly what's going on here. And he couldn't be more wrong, which is great. It's almost a Jack Burton level of (laughs) self-involvement. I completely agree. He seems confident in his skin in every situation. Wouldn't we all like to be that confident? Absolutely. Even though when he is completely wrong. There's a part of me who likes that level of confidence, but there's a part of me where he's not self-aware until the worst part of me, the very end. Where well, it's too like, late. Oh, it's too late. It's great in a movie. It is not something you want in a friend. No. <laughs> because he has, his self-regard is sort of off the charts, and he is wrong and ab- I would say, about a lot. Ralph Meeker's portrayal of Mike Hammer in this movie would be a guy I enjoyed having a drink with. I'm not sure I would want this guy ever to be a friend. Unless I needed help, in a, like if I was exactly. in a bar room brawl. See, he's pretty good with his hands. Yes. You know what I mean? If I, I'm never in those situations, but it was like I have to punch my way out of a bar. I'd like him at my back yeah. instead of you know. Because he'd enjoy it. He, he and, does. I would, and I wouldn't be sure if he would join the fight because he's your friend, or the fact that he gets to hit someone. As long as I get out of that bar with the minimal of damage, I'm okay with it. But he's also the kind of guy that might just turn on you suddenly. So if someone said, "Hey, I'll give you ten thousand dollars if you fight for our side," now he might be like, "All right." <laughs> he has an odd code. He picks this woman up. They're driving along. He thinks that she had a guy, a date go wrong. He's wrong on that account. She was in a hospital. They were holding their, her against her will. They took her clothes, and then they come up to a police roadblock. And this is when he does the right thing, but it's not necessarily like he's chivalrous, because the cops that have done a roadblock, they're looking for a young lady in a trench coat, a blonde, and she grabs his hand, and he covers for her. So they get through the police roadblock. And, and I got to say, those police do an awful job because you you hear the police discussing with the car in front of them. There is an escapee from a mental institution. She's a young woman, just in a trench coat, blonde. I think blonde. they even say blonde in a trench coat. And literally, that's exactly describing Cloris Leachman together. Absolutely. And the cops like moving on. But the great thing in his reaction, he almost kind of laughs and he goes, "So you're an escapee from the Laughing House?" Yeah. <laughs> just so insensitive. <laughs> so. <laughs> That opening credits, it sets the movie off right away where this movie is a, what's that term? It's a puzzle wrapped in an enigma. It's hard to unravel and it makes you write off uneasy because it has a reverse scroll from top to bottom. Yeah, it's really cool. It it is. is, It's a little disorienting because you're going, wait, I'm reading this backwards. And you hear Cloris 
Leechman, her deep breathing as she's running Gasping out of breath. and panting and like, you know, it, it is, it's... And then Nat King Cole's like, I'd rather have the blues comes underneath it. It's really like, it hits you all of a sudden. You're like, what am I watching? Yeah, it, it, it is. It throws you off. It just keeps you sort of on your toes, never sure what's going on. But knowing throughout the one constant is going to be Mike Hammer is going to kind of do, do whatever he wants. <laughs> and he's not going to listen to anybody. There's something wrong with his car. And he gets that looked at and tips the guy well because the guy reacts when he pulls out a piece of palm or something that was jammed in his And Cloris Leachman goes to the bathroom and she wants the gas station attendant mm-hmm. to mail a letter for her, which he does because, yeah, she's a dish. He even kind of, he's like, hey, she, can I do you a favor? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. He kind of does that. It's sort of, this is a different time. And Mike Hammer, he is a car person. If you're a classic car fan and you like high-end cars, this is another reason I watch this movie. All his cars that he's driving uh, are beautiful. Very, it's super cool. I think his attitude is, if I'm going to roll around in the mud, I'm going to make it worth my while. Yeah. I'm going to have some nice things. So she starts kind of psychoanalyzing him, yep. talking about, which is really interesting, I got to say. A, you pick, a rude guy picks you up, really clearly does not want to pick you up, and she starts judging him, telling him, you know, you're, you're just all about you, yeah. you're selfish, you're, you're not a good ro- romantic interest, you're just do this and that, and you're just really kind of tearing into him. Which but is, she's spot on with her, her analysis. Like, you're the kind of person who never gives in a relationship you only take. And you're only in love with yourself and yourself. And I mean, truly, you're right. Like, when you pick up someone, they're like, they're yeah. haranguing you. Like, yeah, oh. you're going to just start you know, reading me the riot act, yeah. you know. But then she then she gets starts getting into this deep thing about herself. She wants to like, you gotta get me to a bus stop and you can forget about me. Yeah. If we don't get to a bus stop, remember me. That's really an important two words. Remember me. And he's sort of confused by this. You can tell he's just going, what do you mean? I'm just going to take you to the bus stop. Then all of a sudden, there's another roadblock. This ain't the cops. This is the bad guys. We see a pair of shoes. This pair of shoes. That's the bad guy. super important. The movie is really, for its time, is super nasty because they knock him out. And the next thing we do, we cut to a pair of women's legs from the knees down. They're bare. And Cloris Leachman is just screaming Mm. bloody murder. And then we see Hammer is out on a bed spring, out cold, and the screaming stops. There's a conversation between the bad guys. We find out she's dead. And they even go so far as to show one of the guys is holding a pair of pliers, which that is no good. They basically tortured her to death. It's one of those you don't see it, Jason. You don't have to have all the gore. It's such a nasty, ugly little moment. So, of course, they say, get rid of her. What about him? Yeah, throw him in his car, shove him into a canyon. They take him. Put him in the car, shove him down a hill. And of course the car, like any car, any movie car, when it begins rolling down the hill, it starts on fire. That's Yeah, that's why I never want to roll down a hill. Immediate, immediate thing, your car starts on fire. So he wakes up in the hospital. And that's when we get to find closest thing to a love interest he has is, and he, is Velda. And so he wakes up. So it starts the movie with a woman running down the street. And he wakes up after being in this auto accident with this wavy kind of figure. And there's actually two women. It's Velda. And a nurse. And a nurse. And Velda's kind of partner slash love interest slash girl assistant. Girl, I mean, she's kind of all she's these a, things. Yeah, she's wonderful. Up. She deserves better. You know? And this was her first movie too. She's great. And here's another moment. He wakes up and he says to her, you're never around when I need you. And then she says, you never need me when, when I'm, I'm around. around. It's a very telling He's selfish. Their relationship is very... Unhealthy for her, you know, because he doesn't treat her well. 
And this is also when we meet Pat Murphy, who's Lieutenant a cop. Pat who, Murphy. Who likes Surfoot. He's a cop. Yeah. And he seems to like Hammer, but he also knows what Hammer is. Yeah. Of course, he gets out of the hospital, and the cops immediately got to come in for questions. But what's. There's no let up. How Mike Hammer as a character is, it's constant. So when he's. Finally, after three weeks, when he's let out of the hospital, and he's walking arm in arm with Velda, two women pass him. Like, he ogles him and he says look at the goodies he's consistent not have like an epiphany in this you know near-death experience so but but, but we find out a ton when the cops interview him he's a pi but basically he works divorce and he doesn't just work he seems to create his own cases because he will have velda go seduce someone's husband and then sometimes mike will seduce the wife he plays both sides against each other, and basically that's how he makes a bunch of money. The cops are clearly, they're disgusted by this guy. He just doesn't care. He goes, okay, okay, you convinced me I'm a stinker. Yeah. And even to the point where he, he's not telling them anything, and they go, fine, go. And they say, open the window. Yeah. Like, they need, we need to air this place out. This guy's scum. And this is a little plot point where if you are trying to figure out what's going on in the movie the first hand, they're cops, but they work for a fed. They're basically feds, actually. They work for the Interstate Crime Commission, a made-up crime commission. Yeah. And they're interested in, because clearly Christina was involved in something. Yeah, she knew. She knows something. There was yeah. something going on. We find out later that the authorities took her, not the underworld. When he walks out of that meeting, Pat's there waiting for him. Wait. And they have a very... How would you describe that relationship... Between him and Pat. The word I think nowadays is like frenemies. Yes. You know? Because <laughs> he reaches into Pat's Takes a smoke. Takes a smoke. Out. But they have the one of a, a super in, important exchange they have where, where Murphy is basically saying, dude, you got to know something. Tell us, you know, what you know. And then you just need to back off. Go back to what you do. And Hammer looks at him. He gives him this kind of smile. And he says, what's in it for me? Yeah. He thinks that he's got something big. You know, but he's but it's some... also, Jason, you don't get ahead in life by giving things away. You're basically telling me, help you, and I get nothing? You know, what's in it for me should be on his tombstone. Because that's what he is about. And I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, he knew his car went over the damn cliff or whatever. So yeah. he goes to his local mechanic, Nick, yeah. who I, I think he's supposed to be Greek. He's Yes, he's Greek. Okay. He thinks he's going to go pick his car up. It's a car that exploded in the canyon, and Nick Nick has to break the bad news. Dude, your car, and it goes, no, boom, boom. Yeah, it's like, that's his catchphrase. Nick's a bit much. He's a little over the top. So I like the actor who played him. Oh, he's, he's, I love he's that so good. No, he's fantastic. I, I love his, his assistant as much. Because yes. he's, like, he's, he's a little slower. He's like, oh, Nicky, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. It's, like, it's like some like stereotypical cartoon character. But he's warning him that your relationship with like you may idolize this man it's not someone you should idolize and you are by taking up with him it's gonna lead you into the wrong way there's these small little breadcrumbs and a lot of it unless there's no emphasis so unless you're paying attention you don't pick up and then also you're like man this is a really complicated movie oh it is and and i and i'd show michael i I drew a diagram (laughs) Of names. But Nick says, hey, Mike, some tough guys have been looking for you, asking about you. And then Mike heads to his apartment. And two men are watching him. Don't know who those two guys are after someone watching the I think they're official. They have the frumpy look of movie cops. Yeah, they're the Interstate Crime Commission still watching him. Exactly. And, And Mike's apartment is fantastic. He has I mean, an answering machine in his, like, a wheel to wheel on his wall. Oh, it was, and it, everything, every little piece of furniture, the television looks fancy for the time. Yeah, the answering machine, I don't even know if that was real. Yeah. But if it was, 
everything he has, you look and you go, 1955, that was probably very rare to have. He's walking around his place as if he's waiting for someone to be there. Like He's very suspicious. Yeah. Like He thinks something's going on. But, of course, nothing is until the phone rings. Yeah. It's Velda, and Velda is concerned about them, so she's going to head right on over. And so it transitions, and it's just like Velda and him kind of making out. They're, they're kind of talking. Like, their so, lips are talking, but they're touching, but they're talking. It's a very <laughs> sexual embrace. Yes. And they are. They're kissing. Their mouths yeah. are touching, and they're having a conversation. It's so so odd. It's so awkward. I can't imagine. How, and it's and it's not even, like, sexy talk. It's she found, you know, some guy. Ray. Ray and, then, and that's Ray, it. Okay. And, Jason, it's... <laughs> Like it's a names name. names come at you fast and furious in this oh my movie, gosh. and I would just tell people like for the first time watching this, just enjoy it, have just, a have a good yeah. time. If you're really interested, you're going to take multiple viewings. Yeah. You don't just watch this movie once and go, I caught everything. It's there's a lot going on. But Ray Diker is this science guy, yeah, science editor who's gone missing, and of course and he wants to see you, Mike. Pat Murphy comes over. <laughs> He just lets himself in too. You realize he he's, knocks on the he's door knocking, and knocking, and then went. Does he have a key? Did he pick the lock? Like, what's what's up with this? And what does what does Pat do when he shows up? He's like, I'm taking your PI license and I'm taking your gun permit. Therefore, if I catch you sneaking around with a gun, which we find out Mike Hammer doesn't really need a gun. Interesting thing that the the hero never has a gun in a world of guns. And then Mike asks him, hey, Pat, who's Ray Diker? He literally got that piece of information right before from Velda, and he's going to try to whittle information out of Pat, making it sound like he knows him. It's like a lure, Jason. Yeah. He's fly fishing. He throws it out there, and it makes Pat Murphy react. He's so like, he knows it was... I think it was just a shot in the dark. And then he answers himself. He says, science editor of a newspaper drops out of sight. Nobody knows why. And then he kind of walks slowly over to his door and opens it up, like insinuating, Pat, time to go. Time to go. I got, you're right. I got my little nibble. I know that this is where I need to file because you, you react. You gave it away. You're, yeah. I, I would love to play poker with you. Yeah. Now, now hit the bricks flat foot. <laughs> you kind of like him. You go, oh, this is a likable guy. But then he's like telling Velda to go set up, like find Mr. Friendly who's yeah. apparently one of their clients, yeah. and set up a date, and he goes on about that last tape you guys had was pretty great. And I'm thinking, <laughs> ew. Basically, he's talking, I think, about a tape of her seducing this guy. I, I mean, that's what I th- I think it's a sex tape. It was off-putting. He had problems getting this movie released. For the time, I can almost see why. Because the content is it's violent, morally ambivalent, and the sex is overt. Because in this case, I truly think it was a recording of... Velda and Mr. Friendly having sex yeah. hot and heavy, and he really liked it. <laughs> yeah, which is gross. It's just like he's kind of pimping her out. Yeah. And, so, and he's going to go visit Diker. Yeah. So he's going to go visit this guy who's probably like Danny DeVito's height. What is he, like four foot? Yeah. And like in two and because he wrestled, he's sitting on his couch trying to think through what he has right now. And he goes and visits him at, and the only reason I know it's two o'clock in the morning is there's a scene where he's walking, and it's next to the when he gets popcorn right before he gets to Diker's place. There's a clock. It says two ten. Like he decides, I'm gonna go investigate. Like if someone knocks on my door at two o'clock in the morning, I'm gonna tell you, I'm not gonna answer. This is true, Jason. But you're also not on the run. That's true. You're, or you're not being held prisoner because on his way, he's being followed. I'm assuming by an underworld person because he beats this guy. And this is we get a moment. He gets it. This guy pulls a knife gets the knife from yeah. smashes his head against a brick wall repeatedly and he's really enjoying you can see yeah. he really enjoys inflicting pain 
And then he goes, picks the knife up. You think, now that's that. But the guy comes after him again, and he punches him downstairs to his death, I assume. I'm assuming you fall down those steps like that. You get your head bashed against a wall a bunch of times, and then you get thrown down those, because it's steep stairs. Those are some steep stairs. I'm assuming the guy's dead. Those are like the exorcist stairs. He got thrown down. That's a a hell of a stunt. (laughs) After he does it, there's no, oh, wow, I should go get the authorities or something. He just kind of looks as if... Cool. That's what happens. Ah, uh, yeah. Mess with me, I'll knock you down some stairs and kill you. <laughs> but he gets to Dyker's. Dyker's beat up. We never know for sure. This movie kind of gives you a bunch, but then it holds things back. It's like he's being held prisoner there because he's got a bruise, cut, black eye. When he opens the door, makes it clear like there's someone here. So he and Tamer do the thing that you do where you don't want someone to know, and so you're gonna whisper to each other, but then you yell yeah. other things to make it sound like, hey. <laughs> You you better talk to me. What do you want? Yeah. Hey, just you saw the girl. You were with the girl yeah. when, when she died, right? Yeah. Uh, if you want to talk to me, yeah, yeah. come back time. Call my assistant. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. It but, is, but it, but again, it's a way just to get the info. Yeah. The, the girl lives here. Her last name is Bailey. So her name is Christina Bailey, and she lives at three twenty five Bunker Hill. So Mike has his next piece of information. And it comes to one of the, the rudest but most laugh out loud interactions in the whole movie because he goes to Christina's. It's in a you know boarding house or yeah. I guess. I think it was called the castle. It's destroyed. It was on Bunker Hill before they came and developed Bunker Hill and everything. Like and that. there's like this decrepit old man carrying a huge trunk on his back. <laughs> and it's great because he's got a strap. I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah. There's a strap going around his head that helps keep the trunk on his back. And Mike hammers. They have a little chat, a little back and forth. I have a picture of my dad's grandfather. He had a moving company in downtown LA off of Bixel Street at the time. And there's a picture of him with a steamer like that with that strap around. It, it makes like sense. I just go, get a, get a second dude. But that Italian guy, he says he's only 60. I mean, he refers like, I've been here 63 years. I'm like, man, that is a hard oh, 63. Yeah. It's like Robert Loggia 63 <laughs> or something, you know? He goes up to the door. He wants to see the landlord. And it's a landlord and his wife, of course. And yeah. it's this classic stereotype of like kind of the put upon husband, mm. sort of the shrill wife. And the wife won't talk to Mike Hammer directly, but she's she'll ask her husband. Yeah. And they're going back and forth. Mike Hammer wants to see her room. Yeah. And he goes, the cops have already been here. He says, I want to see it. And his wife goes to her husband, ask him who he is, Horace. And Mike Hammer just looks at the guy and goes, tell her to shut up. I know. (laughs) And Horace goes, turns to her and goes, shut up. Because he looks at Mike and he realizes, like, this is someone I don't want to mess with. And there's almost, like, you can almost see where he goes, I almost have permission to say this to her. Because I would never say this to her in our regular yeah. life, but this guy's making me say it. It's rude, but I laughed out loud every time I see that. It's so nasty. So he goes into her room, of course, finds... Nice room. There's a whole a bunch. Of there's a lot of books. She collects books. There's a dead bird. Her roommate... Her, her the roommate's gone. Die. But then he finds the book, the yeah. po- book of poetry. Christina Rossetti. Yes. Who was a real poet. And this is another where it's a red herring where I don't... I mean, they make a lot out of that book and the woman saw it and there's a light bulb moment with this book but it doesn't really wash for me he sees the book he goes oh this is what i need later and i like it where he 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 doesn't even say like he just he grabs a book which is evidence (laughs) he grabs a book and he looks at horace he goes "Eh." he's like i'm gonna take this basically and horace is a spineless guy he's not he's not gonna try to stop mike hammer the old man says listen i did help move out lily um, lily carver her Christina's roommate. I helped her move out at night. I could show you where she she moved. I could give you the address, which is um, 
It ends up being the Jalisco Hotel, which I assume at one point was in downtown L.A. Mike, once again, you just fall on these breadcrumbs. Uh, sure, yeah, I'll have another can of this Amber Ale. Goes to Lily's. Yes. And she's sitting there in a the bed, very similar to Cloris Leachman's character at the beginning. She's in her <laughs> bathrobe, and she's barefoot. And she has a gun. I like this character. Just as much as I like this beer. Oh, this is excellent. Isn't this great? Even the, even the color, it's that beautiful amber. You do spend a few t- a little bit of time in bars in this movie. And I could totally just see sitting at a bar drinking these. Episode 50. Episode 50. That's a milestone. Yeah, and That's I'm glad a... like with episode 50 we're doing a movie that we both really like. And that is considered now. Critics didn't like it when it came out. And I actually pulled a quote from some of the critics. Mr. Spillane's notorious brutality seemed forced and artificial. His sex is not pornographic. Hardly even photographic photographic and the action is so disconnected as to leave an impression of nightmarish nonsense it wasn't well received but over time it's now considered a classic find that though i think a lot in film noir where when they first come out people are just slam them and then years later it's you know this is a classic i love it i'm just such a huge fan lily we find out did some work they worked she worked jobs with Christine, she first of all she let the bird die because it reminded her of Christina, which should be a a signal. <laughs> Sets off some red flags, yes. Jason. You didn't just let it free; you let it die. die. I also think it's a lie. So then she says, "We worked some jobs together." I kind of felt these were like call girl jobs or party girl yeah. jobs, especially when you find out the the circles they were running in. It's all underworld, a lot of unsavory characters. That these weren't secretary jobs or working at the perfume counter of your local well, apartment. It's store. a job where you're gonna meet art dealers, boxers. And scientists. Often science guys. Yes. They, they describe them specifically as science guys. In Underworld, the Carl Evelo. Yeah. He's straight up gangster. That's what I kind of thought was like, did you guys do some sort of escort? What I kind of thought they were doing. Yeah. So, you know, Hammer finds out about the Christina thing where she was scared and then the cops came and then the cops took her away. And then some dudes showed up. Lily got scared. She booked it. And so Mike basically says, you know, you want me to get revenge for for what happened to your friend? I'll see what I can do. Like, he's a weird knight in shining armor, but it's really all it's about is violence. It's not about doing what's right. And so they're back at his apartment, and he gets a voice message. And it's from our villain, who has a very clip-speaking voice. Highfalutin is how I would describe it. And it's a strange conversation. That answering machine comes in handy. It does. Because he just stands there listening to somebody leaving him a message, and then he decides, I want to talk to you. Now, when we had answer machines, I remember doing that. Oh, everybody did it, Jason. (laughs) We all did it. But yeah, the guy tells him, you know, your life's been disrupted, but it can all go back. Let's pretend that you didn't pick her up. As a token of appreciation, tomorrow morning there'll be a present outside for you. So the next morning, outside, Nick's... His mechanic is over. Is he dropping off a car? Nick came over to bring a car. Yeah. So Nick's there and he sees a 54 Corvette. It's a sweet a car. Beautiful car. This car is tight. And he looks in and the keys are in and he, and he pulls up paper and is like, oh, that Mike, he got a brand new car. Which is interesting in terms of the 50s of having a car sit on the street with keys in the ignition and your paperwork there. Anybody can take it. But I love that Nick just goes, I'm, first of all, I'm going to go up to this car and start snooping around. And you know what? I know the guy who owns it. So I'm entitled to get into it, maybe take it for a spin. Yeah, a va va boom. A va va boom. And Mike, Mike comes running out because we know yeah. these guys aren't on the level. 
And of course he says, don't do that, Nick. Look under the hood. They find a torpedo. It's a bomb. It's like a three sticks of dynamite. It is, literally. <laughs> Jane laughed because she, she just went, oh my God, it's dynamite. Like straight up dynamite. And I went, well, I mean, back then, that's why I goof around. <laughs> and I bet dynamite was much easier to get now. We can't just go get dynamite. No, no. There was a time when you could just go buy dynamite. Yeah. But then Hammer goes, get in. It's yeah. going to go to your place. Nick's all freaked out. Yeah. He goes, are we okay? And he goes, yeah, we're okay. And like Mike is so calm yeah. in this moment. like He doesn't necessarily know. Yeah, he, he has, has no one, idea. But he's even thinking at the time, there's another bomb there's in here somewhere. So they take it and they find it. And he says, ah, oh, this one's for... The first one we're meant to find. So then, of course, this is where he sort of sends Nick on his path to his doom. Because he says, hey, Nick, do me a favor. I want you to find out who souped this up. And Nick goes, I know, I know a place in Culver City. I know, it's like Culver City. I'm like, really? The dregs of humanity. Oh, I, okay, I guess, I guess that was the hotbed for, you know, car bombing in the 1950s Los Angeles. I'm like, now it's just hipster place. Yeah, go, get, exactly. go get some nice hipster food and find some wax mustaches. <laughs> and basically Mike is saying, you know, hey, you want a cool car like this, do this. And so Mike leaves, and I don't know his assistant's name, but is it? It's Sammy. Sammy. It's one of my favorite lines of dialogue I wrote down, because Nick says, because Sammy's like, I don't know, like, if you should be doing this. And Nick says, don't bother me, small fry. You play your guitar, Sammy boy, and I'll drive my car. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the most ridiculous line. It is. But, but because, the shot was great. Oh, it's a fantastic, again, Ernest Laszlo is amazing, because it is. It's kind of a close-up of a profile Nick, who looks kind of like Hall, uh, Oates yeah. from Hall and Oates, especially from profile. <laughs> but Nick, Nick is literally just standing there watching Mike Lee going, va-boom, va-boom, yeah. boom, boom, like Ba-ba-boom. thinking about like, how I'm going to drive this car. And Sammy's looking at him. It is a great shot. And, and he even says something about, hey, you know what? You didn't ask him what he's getting out of this. Yeah. It's all about what he wants. Yeah, that's why I was like, don't bother me, small fry. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great, it's a great exchange. But yeah, Sammy just kind of sees Mike for what he is. Yeah. I will use he's you. He's a user. Jason, I will use you to try to get what I want yeah. to your own detriment. Did you ever watch any of the other Mike Hammer renditions? No, there was one in the 80s with Stacy Keach. And they we did it again in the 90s, too. Stacy Keach, I think played my camera more than anyone the else. only thing i remember from that was um like there was an episode even when i was a kid my friends and i we made fun of it because he was trapped in like a, a cage with a tiger and he boxed it and he literally boxed punching him because boxing was like his one of his things and he's just punching a tiger in the face i remember my friends coming to school the next day we were like did you watch that we just thought it was stupid well what i thought was when i was researching it was pretty cool is that darren mcgavin Kolchak played Mike Hammer in the 1958 TV series. Mickey Spillane wrote like 13 Mike Hammer novels. There's been like three TV series, five feature movies, 77 TV movies, one radio program, and he sold millions. I know. And millions of books. And I just never got into it. Yeah, I, that, I mean, I read those pulp novels. Yeah. I, I love Dashiell Hammett yeah. and Raymond Chandler, you know, and James M. Cain. Yeah. I, I read tons of those. For some reason, I never got into the Mike Hammer. Not sure why. Mickey Splane just kind of slid by me. But at the same time, this is one of my favorite yeah. movies. You were telling me, did Mickey Spillane like... He, he hated this. Writer like he hated this. And, and he really did not like it. I went and read up on the character of Mike Hammer, and it doesn't sound that far off. I mean, the character apparently in the stories really loved to inflict pain, and they would have graphic descriptions of Mike Hammer beating people up. I guess maybe it's kind of like The Shining. Stephen King detested the movie. I like Stanley Kubrick. I love version. both. The movie is yeah. one of my favorite horror movies, but it, I love the book, too. So... 
I guess I can do that. I didn't write the book though. So, I love Ralph and, Meeker's it, portrayal of Hammer. And I, Ralph Meeker. I, I said it. I said it earlier. I just. I wish they would have gone on to do a series of these. Ralph Meeker was just so good. He's real. I mean, the acting across the board is pretty awesome in this. But he's just such a great cad. It's, he's he's unlikable, but I like him. Not everybody's likable in the yeah. world, and sometimes you have a character that's sort of all around unlikable, and you sort of he's a bull in a china shop. That oh, whole saying because yeah, he's, he's going to push ahead no matter what. He damages to figure out. He thinks he's going to make some money out of this some way. In fact, that's a great transition to where we're going yeah. because now he goes to Velda's yeah. and Velda is doing ballet. She's got a bar. Like she lives in a pretty nice swanky place because she's got one of those. A she bar has a ballet studio in yeah. her apartment. Yeah. So she's doing that. He comes in, turns the music off. She just gives him a look and he puts the music back on. This is when he says, hey, that date that you had with Mr. Friendly cancel it we're going to stop these penny ante little divorce cases for now because that girl was on to something big yeah. and you can just see velda is she's starting to think like sammy you know what are you getting us into okay. this thing may be bigger than us we might just be a couple of hustlers doing divorce cases we might not be up and that us. suits us she says that perfect line first you find a little thread that little thread leads you to a string and that string leads you to a rope and from the rope you hang by the neck then she also gives him the next thread because Diker called, left some na- names. Again, more names. This is part of the movie that the first couple of times I didn't pay attention were, so they're showing you something on the screen. They don't say ever really the names at first. They show you he's looking at a note that Velda had typed up, and it has the names. And if you don't look at those names and write them down, it's really hard later on to find out, like, what's going on. Oh, there's a whole bunch going on. It's like Romando and Kowalski. Yes. And Diker gave the names because, you know what, both of these Over guys. Over at the Bomba Cafe. And she's, <laughs> she keeps referring to them in the past, and he, refer- he asked her about that. She goes, they're both dead. Yes. And they both died like your girl. I mean, all of these, like, warning signs, yeah. you know? It's like Road ends in Cliff. I think that's what Diker is doing, is giving him a warning. So do you think that's what Diker's play is? He's trying to warn Hammer? Or is Diker just like, you know what? I just need to cover myself in case something this goes. Like, I need to tell someone. Because, again, I think Diker is being held prisoner. But he's able to get a message to Velda. Like, why doesn't he just go to the authority? I mean, I, we talk about this. He can't dig down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they talk about, you know, one of the guys, uh, Romando, I think, was hit by a truck. Co- co- no. Kowalski was Lee, hit by... Leopold Kowalski, otherwise referred to as Lee sometimes. He was Kowalski, hit by the truck. The other guy truck. was thrown out of a cab. Yes. Nicholas Romando was thrown out of a cab. But he had, he had a friend named Carmen Travago, who is an unemployed opera singer. Uh, yeah. Another name. Unnecessary scene. But it's this really quick scene where he goes to visit the truck driver who hit Kowalski. Yep. And the guy does this great piece of acting, I think. It was, a good, it was solid Because he has, he's just this working guy. He's, at, he's, he's got a family. Of course, Hammer goes when they're eating dinner and he's sitting at the table. You know that he didn't like knock and ask. Like, oh, yeah. oh can I come back later? He just walked in and sat down at the dinner table and poured himself beer. But this guy, you can tell he's haunted. He ran someone over. And he talks about the free, you know, over where the freeway is being built. And it's Interstate 10, which yeah. is like a major east-west connecting highway that we have now, the interstate. And as Mike is talking to him, it's like he really just leads the witness, yeah. honestly. Because he says, oh, what, what, did he jump in front of your truck? Or did he, was he pushed? Yeah. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, he, he was pushed. pushed. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was 100% pushed, Jason. But it's just funny that Mike goes, uh, I'm decided he was pushed, yeah. and I'm going to get this guy to say it, and then I can just go that route. Yeah. I'm going to go whatever route, because whatever could be done with a pen, I'd rather do with my fists. Yep. There are all these little scenes that their only purpose 
is to give him a tidbit of information. Because yeah. then he goes to the gym. Buddy Eddie clearly is. He's great. He's another a boxing guy. promoter. And this like that. great peripheral character. And this is the gym where Lee Kowalski had fought at. And so he has that conversation with Eddie where he's like, hey, man. And, and first of all, Mike's just, like, Eddie's very proud of this new fighter. It's a throwaway. And, and Mike, <laughs> and, well, also it just implies that Mike hangs around with nefarious characters. And he's like, well, he'll be good until his first bout, and then you'll make him throw it. And he's like, no, no, not like, this one. But clearly he's done that. <laughs> oh, yep, like every other guy. He's just, And Mike is just all like like smiling at him. Like, you know, they just go back and forth. This has happened before. He says, no, put all your money on this. He's like, oh, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. He's like, you're going to make him fall down, take a dive. Everyone's going to take a dive. And like, that Eddie's he, cigar represents like... <laughs> Mike mentions Lee Kowalski's name, and then Eddie, who has this that cigar makes... clenched in his mouth, like, you know, it's supposed to represent something, all of a sudden just drops. Boing. Yeah. <laughs> we get a, more names, Two Michael. more names. These these names are great, though. Charlie Max and Sugar, Sugar Small House. I love those names. Awesome. He, he said, they came and they gave me an offer, and Mike goes, oh, I'll top it. And he's like, oh, no, no. Their offer was I get to breathe yeah. if I keep my mouth shut. <laughs> So, of course, you know, Mike has to go find out who these guys work for. They work for Carl. I don't know why Mike doesn't know this. These seem like names. Carl's Pat Murphy. You know, these Carly are two Max. notorious thugs. Yeah. Who do they work who, for? Who work for, like, one of the big the big underworld guy in yeah. the world. That, that, to me, is, like, sort of a point where I go, he should have known this himself. He didn't. He should not have had to call to make this Well, that, well that's where we get to the point where, like, some people look at this character in myself where, like, sometimes confidence could cover for wisdom and intelligence. Yeah, and for some reason, Murphy just gives up the yeah. information. And, and you'd think that Murphy, who has an issue of him plodding along on this... Won't, you won't give me one thing, yeah. and now you want me to give you two things. Yeah. Who these two guys work for, and Murphy's like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Carl Evelo. Carl Evelo. Who's a big-time mobster And I'm thinking at this point, is like either Murphy is hoping that Hammer's going to run into a severe amount of trouble and just stop the case, or that they're telling... They're following. Because I think yeah, at this point they're, following they're clearly him. following him. They're they're like we're, some of our resources yeah. need to follow this clown yeah. because he's gonna he's gonna fail upward. Yeah. We go to Carl Evelo's. Oh, that's a great mansion. For some reason, they introduce his half sister who happens to be following Mike accidentally, and it gets really racy because she goes, "Well, coincidence." We we they get out of their car at the same time. She walks up, just starts making out with him, and she goes, "You don't taste like anyone I know." Her dialogue with him. Oh my god. I'm surprised god. they allowed that to take place. I mean, even movie. today I'm like, jeekers, she's <laughs> she's a little forward. Because they're they're kind of walking, he's like, I mean, I'm here to, you know, whatever, I'm not your brother's friend. And then she's walking and she stops, she goes, seconds. Yeah. And they start making out again. And the, and again, Mike is not that guy. He's not like, you know, Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe who might yeah. might be like, you know, hey now, enough of that, sister. Yeah. He's all about it. And her it. name's Friday. Yeah, and it would have been Tuesday if she was born on Tuesday. That's what she says. It's just great. But he is he is so welcoming of this yeah. attention. If I'm a single guy, I ain't turning that. And sick. she's like, let's a toast to friendship. And she's like, I have a lot of friends. He's like, I bet you do. He has her number. Yeah. So, but he has no problem with it. He's walking into something that he knows nothing about. And he He's just tells her. mobster's why, house. Why don't you invite me inside? Yeah. And then he starts asking about shoes. Does your brother wear blue suede yeah. shoes? Because of the shoes, he's kind of on the on the trail. He remembers a pair of shoes, yeah. and I think he, he figures if I can find these shoes, I find the guy. And I gotta say this, like rely on that's a shoe. shot in the flipping <laughs> dark, bro. 
I mean, that's some failing upward that if you can do that, that's a mutant ability. That is no longer just a coincidence. That's a mutant ability. So they have this back and forth, and then he, he's asking about their shoes, and then he goes, you know, why don't you invite me to take a dip? And yeah. she goes, oh, get all wet. Yeah, I, just the dialogue. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I can see why and at that time, yeah. this movie was pushing some, some things. So she's taking him to the pool house. Pool house. Carl Evelo goes, oh, my. He recognizes Hammer because... It's his guys, his tough guys, who've been asking questions about him. Yeah. And he can't believe... I think he's astonished that he he's... He's just like, well, look at this. I can't, I can't, can't remember the exact line, but he just sees it. He's like, well, look at this. <laughs> and Mike goes to the pool house. And meanwhile, Sugar Small House and Charlie Max... Charlie Max is played by Jack Elam. We've had him before. Cheers to Jack, Jack Elam. Yeah. Kansas of, City Confidential. And two of my favorite noirs. Yeah. And two of the classics. Two that really didn't get a lot when they came out. But Jack Elam again plays that tough guy who's not really that tough. No, no. It's like he's because they, they get up and Sugar, they walk into the pool house yeah. and they're like, we're going to beat him up. And he knocks Sugar out. We find out the dude was out for two hours. Yeah. Hit him and, so hard. And couldn't even move his muscles. I don't know what Mike Hammer did to him. I don't know. He's got a nice right hook or something. But Charlie Max sees this like, like, and he's like, well, I'm going to slowly back out like a tiger just walked into the room. <laughs> just slowly get out of here. Yeah, if you look at Charlie Max, is one of the few characters who actually makes it out of this movie alive. So, But he backs out. He's just looking like he's freaked out. Whatever happened in there, whoa, I'm not messing around. Carl Avalogos, send him to the house. And we get a great little moment where Carl's talking to someone on the phone. He's like, basically, I don't know what he knows. Like, he's talking about Mike, and he's and talking I, to somebody he needs to answer to. And I'm assuming he's talking to Dr. Sober. Yes, and he's talking, and this is kind of a big deal to me because you know Carl Evelo is a big mover in the underworld. So the fact that he's calling someone, sort of answering to someone, tells you this person must be a big deal. But also it has a great line where he's like, you freaked out, Matt, Charlie, I don't know, what did you do to Sugar? And Mike goes, I figure it's good to speak a lot of languages. Any country you go to, you can handle yourself. Yeah. <laughs> basically, the language is punching yeah. people. Violence is a universal language. That's not exactly <laughs> going to endear you to the locals if you're traveling. But this is a scene where even Carl realizes this guy has no idea what he's dealing with. He yeah. doesn't know what the what's it is. Because Mike is playing all cool, like, well, you know, why don't you make me an offer and tell me what it is? And all of a sudden, Carl's like, this guy doesn't know anything. Well, and also, Jason, Carl readily admits, yeah, yeah we put the bomb in your car. Yeah. Yeah, we pushed you over the cliff. That didn't work. We put a bomb in your car. Two bombs. Yeah. <laughs> the torpedo. Ah, you know. Finally, Mike just annoys him where he goes, you know, yeah. there's no more offer, Mr. Hammer. You're done. If we have any speculation, we get to the end what we're dealing with. Mike is just... I got to tell you, though, Jason, whose brain would jump? To where they actually go. You basically, <laughs> you picked up a girl. She got tortured to death. She knew something. Well, you know, what is it? You know, is there a mob payoff or something? You're not thinking. Nobody is taking that jump. No. You know what because I'm saying? Because I think in the original novel, Mickey Spillane's Kiss Me Deadly, the actual item is narcotics. He is dealing with actual drugs. And I think at this point, Mike's probably thinking still along that line. Like yeah. It's something... Something stole, stole or some drugs stole, yeah. or something like that. So for some reason he's going off now. He's got to go see this opera singer, want to be opera singer. Well, he's falling in shreds. You know, you had those two names. You had yeah. Lee Kowalski, Harvey Wallace is the one who killed yep. him. Then we have those are the main Nicholas ones. Nicholas Romando, then... who's dead, and he had a good friend, Carmen Trevago. 
And so he just following these trends. Like, well, yep. I, I guess that's going to work out. Checking names off the list. Let's, and he goes, and it's a great moment because he walks up and he, and he says, the woman at the front desk, he's like, oh, I get a heart. He's trying to, I think he's trying to be endearing yes. or something. He just thinks, I'm going to be an aw shucks guy. I'm going to play this character. And he's like, oh, you get a heart attack walking up those stairs. And she just looks at him and goes, who, who invited you? She does it so rude, though. Who invited you? It's just this nasty old bird. And, and those are great scenes because if you like the history of downtown Los Angeles, Kiss Me Deadly, and the reason we picked Three Weavers, the deep roots, because this movie is about Los Angeles. It has deep oh, roots. absolutely. And all those scenes at Bunker Hill, they're no longer there. All those were, like, shot right there, and they're yeah. all it's gone. changed a lot. And it's a good, like, historical, like, if you were looking back at buildings at the time, you want to see what it looks like. This is a great movie to see what, like, downtown Oh, like absolutely. I also love it, though, because it, he sort of gets himself up in this moment, like, I'm going to sort of play a character. Like, yeah. PIs are often, they'll play a character. <laughs> and he kind of does this for this woman, and it just blows up in his face. <laughs> yeah. So it, it almost is like, you know, you know what? I can be Mike Hammer. I'm not like other guys where I'm going to put on, like Bogart might put on glasses and I'm going to pretend to be someone else. I'm only good at being Mike Hammer. But then, again, there's some more cruelty because he goes and meets this guy singing opera in his room. Hammer goes in, ends up clapping. Then he goes over and he pulls out, you know, hey, this is a... Caruso's Palachi. Yeah, (laughs) it's a a collector's item. It just snaps it in two. I thought that was the meanest thing to do. It was cruel. He doesn't even know what this guy knows yep, at that hasn't time. even asked a question yet. Yeah. As mean. much as the physical cruelty he inflicts, it's like, and he does, he just does it. He has a smile on his face yeah. as he's doing it, just snaps it. Then it's interesting because he goes over, the guy's got a glass of, you know, it's like Chianti. It's the, yeah. there's a bottle he's making, with like he has the, spaghetti boiling on the stove. Yeah. He's making dinner. But he goes over and picks up a glass of the guy's wine, doesn't pour himself a glass, yeah. just takes his glass and drinks from it. Which I think it's a very odd thing to do, but it's also like I'm dominating it's aggressive, you. Yeah, yeah I'm taking this is what you, what's yours is mine right now. I'm taking this, and when the guy pours him some more wine, he ignores it because I'm taking what's yours. Great piece of just setting up the scene and acting between the yeah. two of those. Romando was his friend, and his friend was telling him these riddles, and he's he's like, I'm, I'm sad, and I'm blah, blah, and he says, I've got a secret. I can't tell anyone. And then these guys came after he died. This dialogue here is some of the most important dialogue for you to try to figure out the movie, because he lets you know Nicholas Romando was an engineer, a scientist, very smart, and he hid something. <laughs> and it was small, and Mike is... Clicking a little more. Gears are moving in his slowly. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I, I can see where this would be so, so confusing because the, the, these disparate my diagram right here. All of these characters, they're they're from different places. Yeah. It's not like a whole bunch of scientists. It's like there's a boxer, there's a science guy, there's a science editor, there's an opera singer. It's like what are we putting together? A weird like superhero group. <laughs> Honestly, the first time watching this, when it came to Carmen Travago, I go, I don't know why. First of all, I couldn't remember the name, so I'm like, why is this guy here? And then I didn't remember <laughs> that Nicholas Romando is so important to this plot. I didn't even remember, like, Carmen Travago, he's speaking in a, in a very movie-style Italian accent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I didn't realize he was talking about Nicholas Romando. They don't have my camera repeat the stuff back to him does not try to clarify anything. And there's no voiceover. No, exactly. Like, and in other movies, there'd be like voiceover. It'd yes. be like, you know. They're like, Nicholas Romando. Yeah. That reminds me. <laughs> Romando had a friend. Yeah. Carmen Travago. He was a scientist down at over Caltech. So he's got to go back to Lily's. Why? I guess. Maybe she knows something. I don't know. I mean, that might be it. More great, you know, camera work. Yeah. 
deep shadows, looking up and down stairs. It's all very much like German Expressionism. It's amazing, confusing. It's, it's just like the it's movie. It's so great. Yeah, absolutely. She's hiding in the stairwell because some dudes had come and she got scared. She's a femme fatale. She's making all this up. I don't think she's... Any, the, the people who are after her are actually the police. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Not the bad guy. Right, ex- exactly. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to go down to the car. You run down when I honk, gets in. She, he hides her in the car, zips by Nick's, find out what he found out in Culver City. And poor Nick. There's a scene where Nick is working underneath a car. You see the pinstripe pants yep. and those wingtip shoes slowly walk over and release the jack. And so the car crushes Nick. When Mike shows up, Sammy is basically like, they killed Nick. Mike doesn't say a thing. Sammy's crying. He's just like broken. If I would have done one thing different in this movie, I might have had Sammy say something to Mike like, this is your doing. You know, you did this. Because this is the first time where Mike is speechless for one thing. This is a guy who's got a snappy comeback for every moment. You can see on his face. It's the first like actual feeling he's felt. So he goes to Velda's. He walks into Velda's apartment in the middle of the night. Clearly he has the keys. Clearly their relationship is very complicated. Goes into her bedroom and wakes her up. She does smile when she sees him and kisses him. But she also knows. And he, and he says, like, well, you know, Nick's dead. And you, uh, whenever you need something, you always yeah. come to me. And she likes that. It's a codependency. It's not what you would call a healthy relationship. She's smarter than him. And she's saying, you should turn Lily over to Pat. Oh, and by the way... I met your friend Ray, Ray yeah. Diker. So and, also, but this is when the great what's it is dropped. Yes. Oh, that's right. Because she, because they're looking for. And she's like, "Oh, you men, you're always out looking for what's the great what's it. it." Yeah. And who are they? They are the nameless ones who kill people for the great what's it. And again, he takes her glass of milk. Yeah. And drinks it. I, I just I don't know. There is something that he takes just, things that he wants. Yeah. And it doesn't bother him. And it's exactly. And it's just sort of like this kind of ownership. Like, it'd be strange, like, if I reached over right now, because these beers are awesome, if I reached over, once again, thank you, Three Weavers, for sponsoring this episode. If I were to reach over and just, Cheers again. Cheers. This is episode 50. This is something something to be happy about. Absolutely. Something to celebrate. But no, if if you did... If I were to reach over, I'm like, I'm going to sip your beer. You would look at me like, what the F are you doing? I'd slap your hand. You know, this is this is my damn and beer. And no one slaps Mike Hammer's hand. No. He, he ends up slapping his own hand at the end because he just did not see what was in front of him. And all he wants, basically he says, all I want is to get my hands on the guys who killed Nick. Like right now all he has is vengeance on the mind. He's not. doesn't even seem like he's sad that his friend is dead. All he can think of is violence. His whole world is consumed with violence. Hey, did we have Three Weavers on in a previous episode? Three Weavers was one of our very first episodes. It was a special release. It was for the Baron of Arizona. It was called The Time is Ripe. That was the Baron of Arizona. It was episode 12. That was back when we were buying all of our beer. (laughs) But this time, you know, thank you so much. I I mean, again, I love this. And I just recently saw Jason... They were doing, I don't know, when this comes out, I don't know how long it's going. They're doing, it's like a recycling, the four-pack, you have those plastic four-pack holders. Mm -hmm. If you bring 10 of those in, they'll give you a dollar beer. Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to be going there soon. (laughs) Because I have a bunch, and you can only use, it makes sense, you can only use like 10 per visit. Yeah, of course. You can't go in with like 50 and say, I'm getting five beers. I have a giant bag. I know. (laughs) Which which was smart, because I totally would have done that. 
I have a lot of those at home. <laughs> if, if that was if that disclaimer was not on there, I would have walked in and said I've got thirty. But I think that's cool to you know that they're trying to get Absolutely. those back because those things you do you collect those and breweries remember that a lot of breweries will take those back. They might not give you anything, but they will reuse them. So and those things are just to end up in a landfill yeah. most likely. Love the brewery. It's fun. I don't think we've been there together. We have not. It's in Inglewood, correct? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's 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 really close to where we live. It's right off the freeway, so it's it's very easy to find. There's going to be a train opening that's going to drop you off, like about thirty seconds. Oh, yes, even better. I cannot wait. <laughs> I cannot wait for that to happen. So Mike is still at Velda's apartment, and she mentioned something. She says, "I met with your friend Ray Diker again over at Tosco's." Which okay. So Ray Diker, Ray, is like going Ray out Diker and can come and go, yeah. but he stays. <laughs> I know it's. Yeah, yeah. Let's not go let's there. Let's not go there. Yeah, we and, cannot do that. And she's like, he pointed out some joker at the bar, a dealer in abstract art. This dealer dropped a couple names: Doctor Sobrin and Carl Evlo. Do those mean anything to you? She's kind of insinuating this art dealer was kind of handsy, maybe a little bit. And she's like, I suppose I, I get some more info from the doctor. Do you want me to date him? And I think that's a code word for something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, use my feminine wiles yeah. to get more. And his resp- his response is like, no, I really don't want you to do that. His response is, I want to catch Nick's killers. So do what you need to do so we can do this. Yeah. And then she has enough. She tells him, just leave. Yeah. Just go. But then he doesn't even get to the door and she comes back out. She's, I think she says, meet me at the Pagolin. Yeah, she says, like, let's have lunch tomorrow at 2 p.m. I, I can't get the yeah. restaurant's name or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it sounds like Pagolin. Meet me at the Pagolin at 2. Because I need to have the strength now to go to bed because I'm going to have to fight off your friend tomorrow and everything like that. Yep. <laughs> but all of a sudden we have this another name, Dr. Sobrin. Exactly. <laughs> An- another name for him to follow. But now he thinks this is my time to go to this club and get way drunk. Yeah. He sits down at the bar, says, give me a double bourbon, leave the bottle. Yeah. Pour one for yourself. The bartender, they're friendly. They know each other. He mentions Nick. We're drinking to Nick, and the bartender doesn't know, apparently, because he he does go, va-voom. Yeah. Va-va-voom. Va-va-voom. So, Mike, the next time we see him, he's face down in the bar. Dude. The bottle is empty. (laughs) And there's someone talking to the bartender, and it it looks like one of those cops. It was like the the paunchy white guy, which I think he's one of the official. He's like some sort of authority figure. And he's talking to the bartender, and the bartender comes down. They wake Mike up somehow. Yeah. He put, just put away a bottle of bourbon. The bartender's like, dude, they have Velda. You should go drive. Yeah. And that's what, that's what, like, this movie, he stumbles out of the bar, his hair out of place, his suit disheveled, and he gets in his car. And goes out to the country. He goes, he goes out to, to the Calabasas for, again. For some reason that his mind says, I should go out to that gas station yeah. and find out where she sent the letter in that moment. Yeah. That is, that I is think a, in his drunken stupor, he had some clarity. He's like, wait a second. She mailed that letter. You know, originally I probably should have figured out like where she mailed that letter that's, to. That's what Rockford would have done. Yeah. That's what Sam Spade would have done. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, that would have been his first thing. Yes. Oh, Sherlock Holmes would have known when yeah. she left it. When she dropped it off, he would have known. He wouldn't need to go back out. So he goes out. The guy tells him, of course I looked. You know, yeah. a dish like that. I want to see who the lucky guy was. And it was sent to Mike Hammer. Yeah. So he's like, oh, back to my he goes, place. Holy crap, 
crap, it was mailed to me. He and drives this, back to his place. And in this, again, I love the camera work here because he goes into his office. There's a light over his desk, yeah. and you see the two figures, Sugar Smallwood and Charlie Max, are waiting for him. And they're just silently watching him as he goes to his desk. He picks up the letter. It says, remember me. And then they announce their presence. And this time, like... One's got a gun, one's got a sap, which is a piece of lead yeah. with a couple pieces of leather yeah. over it. You used it to knock someone yeah. out. Is Mike not checking his mail on a regular basis? <laughs> I, I mean, it was somewhat of a surprise that this guy even had an office. I mean, it just doesn't seem that professional. <laughs> and they knock him out, and they bring him to the beach house. And I, I want to be clear, Michael. Is this the same beach house as at the end of the movie? I guess. I say yes. I, I think so, too. Jason, I don't know if you picked this up. There's just this really quick exchange when they're getting out of the car. They're being really nice to him. And Mike Hammer basically says, you know, you guys are so polite. And I think it's Sugar says, we're here on this earth such a brief span. We might as well be. And it's so it's against like, his character because he is as rude as can be and these to are those two women thugs. around the pool house. And he had just knocked one of those dudes out. But it's just this, it's like this wonderful little piece of characterization, I think, because they are. They're being very, they're like, here you go, Mr. Hammer. Like, oh, be careful as you get out. They're being super polite. And you think, oh, these guys are, these guys have a code. These are they, nice know how to, they know how to be polite. He doesn't. So, but yeah, of course, he, he takes this moment to go, I'm going to run away. Yeah. Because he runs down some stairs, and it's like clearly not an athlete, no, no. you know. And he's in his suit, shoes, and everything. I know that, but they the classic, you know, chase him on the beach. They're I don't know where his what his intentions are. Are you just planning on out I mean, running yeah, them? Like, where are you gonna go? Yeah, unless you're gonna swim. Yeah, you're, you're kind of. I mean, it's a de- it's an act of a desperation. Yes, it's, exactly. des- it's desperate right there. So they knock him out. Then he's tied. I, and to- I don't fault him. I mean, when you're in a situation like you got it, yeah, it's fight or flight. Yeah. They tie him to a bed. He's tied to a bed face down. Once again, very sadomasochistic. Yes, it's like, where's this going? And then we have the big reveal. I don't think they reveal his name at this time. Yeah. But he walks in, you see the the pinstripe pants, you see the shoes, and it, and it turns out it's Dr. Soberin. And he is going to give Mike sodium, sodium pentothal because he feels that Christina told him something of importance. Everybody thinks he knows what yeah. the great what's it is. Shit. And he no, he doesn't. He knows nothing. He's just a dope he, who can beat people up. He's a thug. He's, he's a violent fletch. He has like a great comeback for everything. Yeah. He walks with wonderful confidence whether he knows anything or not yeah. into a situation, but unlike Fletch, this guy is very quick to violence yeah. and he likes being violent. Yeah. I think everybody wants to walk with confidence and feel comfortable, and that's one thing where even though I think he's kind of a despicable character, there's a part where you watch the movie. He's like, you know, what? I wish I could always have the confidence. Because no matter where he's at, because even in this situation, he honestly, I think his character would honestly feel, I still got the upper hand on him. <laughs> like, yes, I still can get my way out of this. Absolutely. You and, know, and, and and the thing is, is Jason, he, they used to have a little cartoon, Goofus and Gallant. You know, Goofus yeah. does the wrong thing, yeah. Gallant does the right. Like he, he's neither of those. Like Mike Hammer isn't going to go out and try to rob you or yeah. do something bad. It's just he might be the guy that kind of laughs if he drives by and sees your car break down. Yeah. He might be the guy who's like, that guy should buy a better car. Yeah. You know, so it's like, he's just a selfish jerk. But at the same time, he's not going to go out, go out of his way to do wrong to yeah. you. I mean, that's just kind of my take on it. No. So they're going to, you know, they, they shoot him up with this stuff, and he's like mumbling, mumbling. And, of course, he gets a hand free. Yeah. So Carl Evelo's there, and, and he goes, hey, hey, Carl That, that character actor does an awesome job. He does. He really, really does, because he goes in, and he's like, hey, Mr. Hammer, you know, you ready to talk? 
Oh, I want to whisper. Yeah. <laughs> Which is <laughs> red flag, buddy. Carl was like, I'm I'm just gonna toy with this guy. Yeah, I'll humor him. Yeah. Yeah, this guy's gonna die. Yeah. Because they even tell him, You're gonna die, Mr. Hammer. Yeah. So he's like, oh, I'll lean in. Yeah. Hammer freezes hand and Carl Evelo has a look of surprise, and Hammer punches him enough apparently to knock him out and get free. And then he does a spot-on impression of Carl Evelo. spot-on. <laughs> well, and what's funny is, meanwhile, Sugar and Charlie are out there watch, listening to a, a boxing match, yes. which is what people used to do back in yeah. the day. And it was great because it's like it sort of follows what's going on, the bell ringing, <laughs> he knocks Evelo out, and then he does a spot-on impression of him, like, ah, oh, hey, he talked. Sugar goes, ah, now I get to kill this guy. And he goes in and stabs his boss because Hammer has done the switcheroo. <laughs> But that's when he kills Sugar, too. Who screams. And then Charlie Max comes in. Mike's still in the room, and Charlie Max has an expression on his face. Oh, I think I'm going to change my line of work. Yeah. yeah because he finds, I come to God he, moment. He finds, his, he finds his partner dead. He finds his boss dead. And he hears like, a car no. tear off. Yes. I actually have to give him credit, because you know, the, just from what we saw the character, I didn't think he would walk into that room. Yeah. I thought when he heard that scream, he'd go... Head to the exit. Yeah. <laughs> so so you're right though. It's almost like he is the guy who might survive and just he's move like, on. I'll clean my hands. Yeah. Next time he's come across Charlie Max, like he's a haberdasher yeah. running a shoe store somewhere. <laughs> Working at a tiki club, yeah. like a bartender at a tiki bar. Just just going. He had that shirt for it. Yeah, he did. He totally did. Uh, Jack Elam Got, was perfect in this. He was he's he's awesome. He's perfect in everything he does. Yeah. He's just fantastic. So So Mike, he escapes, he's back in his apartment. This one he has to figure out the poem, and Lily's there, and she's dressed to the nines. She's got a great outfit. The outfits in this movie, even Jane, yeah. Jane was just like, "This is amazing." The uh, the outfits, and he is trying to figure out Doctor. The Sober. answers in the poem. poem. Remember <laughs> me. <laughs> he has her read it out yeah. loud at the beginning. Christina in the car asks him, "Do you read poetry?" And he turns and looks at her, and it is the greatest look ever, Jason. It, like you need no words because he does. It just He's like, are you like really? On, son. Take a look at me, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so of course he doesn't. So yeah. he has he has to have her read it out loud. And in this passage, she reads doesn't give off any like obvious I, bells I and whistles. Put, wrote it down in my notes. I went and looked at it. I'm like, I don't know if I would have gotten that same thing. But he him. has a light bulb moment, and he goes off to the morgue. Yeah. She swallowed something. Yeah. Yep. That's what it has to it's be. Something that was on her or something, but she didn't yeah. have anything, so it must have been inside her. Yeah. And if this this morgue attendant or coroner, whatever he is, oh my god, he's like this small bald dude. He looks like the weasel character from The Simpsons. He does. He the mole man character. Yes, Hans like Molman. He does. <laughs> he does a little bit. Christina's body has been at the morgue now for like several, several weeks. It's been a, yeah, because he was out. He was out for three weeks. Yes. Split, I would say probably weeks gone by with the amount of action. Not in a pauper's grave. Yeah. Still there. Still there. So, but he says it was insider and he looks at the morgue guy and he's like, you know, you have it. And the morgue, morgue attendant just nods in yeah. a creepy way. And then they're in his office and he's, it's great because this guy's a, he, this guy's a skis too. Yeah, and and he's like, you have it, and the and the guy goes, yeah, but you know, it's then I have to get a fence, and that's a whole problem. Yeah. I just want the money, and so Hammer gives him money. The guy just does not know, does not does know not what know he's, he's dealing. dealing. Exactly. Absolutely, because he, he he just goes, I didn't say anything of the sort, and he goes to put the key away. What does Mike Hammer do? Hammer slams repeatedly his hand in the drawer. Just, and like, the guy he is howling. smiling it. The guy's and Mike's like he's enjoying watching this guy inf- inflicting pain on this 
old man. I mean, usually I would be like, you know, abusing the elderly yeah. is bad, but then this guy isn't that old. If that dude moving stuff was 63, 63 this guy's guy probably like, like 38, <laughs> you know? But the fact that this guy's a real low life yeah. didn't feel too bad no. for him. But they do. They specifically do a cutaway, a close-up of Ralph Meeker's face, and you can it, see he's, he's looking at the guy, and the guy's shrieking because yeah. his hand's being smashed, and he's just like, oh, this is great. I do love. You know what it does take me back to is another episode we did with Vic Morrow. <laughs> oh, when, 1990, when the Bronx War. You're <laughs> when he's sitting there, he's like, I'm back. And he and was, I'm in it. And what I, was his name in that? The Hammer. The, he was, yes, The Hammer. Because he does, he had that line where he's Full like, circle. I'm back, and I, and I love it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's like, just doing violence. Just doing violence. So, of course, he's got the key, and it's like H-A-C. Oh. Off to the Hollywood Athletic, Athletic Club. Club, where, again, he goes in. Once somebody sort of gives him a little bit of pushback, he's just grabbing him and smacking him. And this old guy's just trying... I feel bad. This this is one of the guys who's like, this guy's just trying to do his job. You don't give away people's lockers it's just private clubs and, and you walk in and say whose key is this and it belongs to nicholas romano wait i know that name i know that, that was, name. that's like four names back yeah, exactly <laughs> but i still remember so this is where things get really interesting because they go to his locker there's a box which he opens and there's another box inside yeah. and he touches it and this is you start seeing mike hammers yeah. it's slowly dawning on him what the hell did I get myself into? Because I think when he first he opens up, he's like, oh, there's going to be duels. Or there's there's going to be like pounds of opium. But he touches it. Coke. He's like, it's hot. Yeah. This is a hot box. Opens it just a little, and there's this great sound effect, yeah. this terrifying sound effect. Huge bright light. His wrist is right by it. The light hits it, burns him, and you see fear. Yeah. The guy's like, what is it? And he goes, I don't know, but don't let anyone near it. Why he doesn't take it, I have no idea. Exactly. <laughs> but he's like... Well, I think he's scared at that point. He also... I think he does. I think he realizes very much that he's in deep. Yeah, he's... But at the same time, your leverage is right there in front of you. He goes back to the car, and know who's not in the car anymore? Lily Carver. She's gone. Wow, that seems odd. Yeah. Or does it? So he heads back to his apartment, and guess who's there with full force? Probably part of the Interstate Commerce Commission, as Interstate Crime Commission as well. <laughs> yeah, but you do have to have the obligatory beat cop yeah. who's playing solitaire yeah. at the k- table. Yeah. There is, there's a one, one uniform cop who's sitting there playing solitaire. And this is where I think they've this, clearly been following him, because they said, where's the key, Mike? Where's the key? And he's playing dumb. He's being cocky, and he's being a smartass. And then Murphy's like, dude, he sees his wrist. And his wrist already has a really ugly burn. And he goes, where'd you get this? You can see, again, Mike Hammer. Ralph Meeker does such a great job because you see this guy's starting. He's becoming a human in a way. He's not just this force of nature beating his way through things. He's starting to realize, I don't know what I'm in for. My lady's gone. This is above my pay grade. Pat tells him, if you hadn't sent out Velda, she wouldn't be in the situation she is in right now. And Mike's response, because you don't mouth off the mic, is, listen, you let Christina escape. You let Lee Kowalski and Nicholas Romano killed. You couldn't handle this. This is all your fault. But probably, you're going to get Lily killed as well. And that's when Pat realized, like, oh my gosh, you're just not that smart. He's like, Lily? He goes, yeah, Christina's roommate. He's like, Lily Carver, we fished her out of the harbor a week ago. Yeah. He kind of slumps. He slumps. And he's he, like, you penny any gumshoe. Dude, you need to tell us because I've got a few yeah. words. They're just a jumble of letters. Yep. But here, and he says, Manhattan Project, Los Alamos, Trinity. And that's when it washes over him that he went, I was just handling some sort of 
nuclear device. Uh, he has enough radiation poisoning. I'm sure he's, yeah. he doesn't, he's gonna die. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, he's he's gonna die. If, if, if he doesn't die at the end, like in that moment, yeah. it's like it's not gonna end well yeah. for him. But what's great is is he just goes, I didn't know. Murphy just lets him have it at yeah. this point because he's like, you know, you didn't know. Do you think you'd have done any different if you had known? And he's basically, what about Velda? And he goes, let the big slob sit there and yeah. think about what's going to happen to his girl. Because I've had it with you. You've been selfish. You did not help us at all. And he's just sitting there, frumpy, defeated in that moment. They all leave. And he goes, like, maybe if I call back to Hollywood Athletic Club, I could see what's going on. And he rings a club. And you see the old man is dead. And that Nicholas Romando's locker is now empty. And the thing is, Jason, is I'm guessing Lily is the one who did the killing. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah, she is. She is not to be toiled with. No. So of course he's he's got to go to Diker because he's I, back at square one. He doesn't have to do now. Yeah. So he goes to Diker's. You know, ends up smacking him around. Who's the art collector? It's <laughs> yeah. this guy named Mist. Yeah. So he goes to that guy's place. He's just at this point, he's just a force of nature. Yeah. I'm just gonna go, go, go until I get Velda. And I love it because he goes to this art place and yeah. he's knocking stuff over and the art dealer's missed this guy he goes whoa someone's here i better take some sleeping pills <laughs> no he's like my day of reckoning is finally here you know what if i'm asleep i can't really do it everything's better when you're asleep that's a, a friend of mine years ago he said if we were talking about what do you do if you get tackled attacked by a wild animal like a mountain lion and he goes just go to sleep everything's okay when you're asleep <laughs> that's what this guy's plan was yeah. but all of his pills which is sort of i mean if you're in cahoots his pills are all prescribed by dr sobrin yeah. so like the cahoots thing it's like kind of want to keep certain cahoots separate yeah you know get a different doctor yeah. so he smacks this guy around and he sees sobrin's name on the pill so he calls and i love this it's a different time i guess because he calls it's an answering service and they say you know you gotta go he can't, he's not around. He's not working. You know, he might be at his beach house. I know. She gives information away that it's she not, shouldn't give away. Yeah, you know. but she doesn't give him an address. No. And, I mean, not everybody lives out here. Not everybody has been here. There's more than one beach house. It, exactly. And so that's what I think his assumption is it has to be the same beach house I was at. Yeah. So, he, so of course, he, he's going to book it out there. Yeah. We get Sobrin, who's so pretentious. Like, what he name drops like Pandora yeah. and Lot's <laughs> wife and Cerberus, and he talks in this highfalutin, very condescending way. And Lily is there. She's just a simple gal. And her real name is not Lily. Her real name Gabrielle. is Gabrielle. Gabrielle. So he's talking to her. She brought him the box. She wants to know what's in the box, and oh. he's just oh. she can't handle it. Like her hands are on that box. She wants to open it up. She just wants money. Like he's I don't know what his end game is. I'd be fascinated to know what his end game is. And then basically she goes, I want half and he's like, Oh, you deserve half, but this isn't the kind of thing we can split. She goes, Well, I want all of it and he's he's telling her, I'm not taking you with me. Where I'm going, you can't go. That's a really bad move. I know. For a young lady you sent to kill the somebody you yeah. sit on this mission, you have to know he's not very bright because this woman is a killer. Yeah. And he says, you're not going with me. I can't split it with you. So basically you get squat. And she goes, I'm going to take it all. And she shoots him. And his last words are, don't open the box. <laughs> Her character is an odd character because at the end... I love it though. You're also like, she's been working for him the whole time. Everything she told was a plant. It was a story. That is a good villain yeah. to have. If you got somebody who can go undercover like that, yeah. do all that, and is willing to just kill on the drop of a dime. Exactly. But that's that's somebody you say, uh, you're not going with me and I'm not paying you. 
<laughs> so, of course, Mike shows up. Right at that time. And then she gets really weird talking yeah. about kiss me. Give me the, your, love, the, the liar's kiss. Yeah, like your kisses, they kiss mean me, nothing. Mike. It's a, Yeah, it's really creepy. And she shoots him. Yeah, because I don't know what Mike's intent was. She is the only woman in this movie that he was standoff. He did have some radar because there's a scene when she's back at his apartment where she kisses him and you can see that he pushes off. It's yeah. The only woman in the entire movie that he's like, wait a second. Yep. There's yeah, something. No, you're right. It's my bat senses is going on. My spider senses. So I don't know if he was about to clobber her or something like that because you don't see him. You just see him get him shot. Yeah. It looks like he might be moving forward. He doesn't yeah. try to shine her on in any way to be like, oh, yeah. doesn't try to schmooze her to say, yeah, I'll kiss you, whatever. She just shoots him in the gut. And then, of course, she. I'm going to open this damn box. I'm going to. And we're all wanting her. We got, we're all like, what's what in the box? box? And she opens the box. Again, this, the sound effects are so terrifying. Yeah. And it's the Raiders of the Lost Ark moment yeah. because she opens it and just catches on fire. She's <laughs> screaming. All hell breaks loose. Mike gets up. He's got to find Velda. He finds Velda. They run outside. They're running down the beach. The house is blowing and up. And there's an odd sound effect like this is this is the end. <laughs> it is. It's so awful and terrifying. The house is on fire. Then it's exploding. They're running down the beach. Then they're in the surf. Then it's the end. There's the end. That's it. Yeah. And they look back. I mean. Such a downbeat, dystopic ending. I love it. Because my take is that that was some sort of. A nuclear, nuclear weapon. Yeah. yeah, it's it's some yeah it's and something so that rendered everything dead. They're not safe where they're at. They're they, not going to no. survive. Can, they don't have the time or the ability to get away. <laughs> you know, first of all, he was already burned, exposed to it. Now he's shot in the gut, and he's yeah. in the ocean water. Can't be good for a gut wound. No, no. <laughs> that's just, the end of them. I think that's a, the end for a lot. <laughs> that happened. It's like Southern California's. Like, you know, Chernobyl <laughs> times 10 or something, you know. Do you ever watch Sledgehammer, the TV series, um, with David Rashke back in the 80s? I did, when it when it was out, but I, you know, I haven't seen it forever. The first season ends with Hammer, which is interesting they use that name. His actions actually lead up to the nuclear explosion of Los Angeles. When I watch this, I always think about that episode. Probably not a coincidence. <laughs> no, no. So, would you recommend this movie? Absolutely. First of all, as a film noir, excellent film noir. Absolutely. From the way it's shot to the way it's acted. If you're a fan of film noirs, it's well acted. It's complicated plot. And I think it's there for a reason. You're supposed to be like Mike Hammer, where you can't figure this out until the very end. And even at the end, they never really describe. I mean, my, my assumption is that this is like a nuclear material, something like that, that's going off. That Dr. Sobern was going to try to sell this. It's during This was during... The Red Scare. Yeah, cold. So, so uh, my assumption is he's trying to sell us to the Soviet Union. But you never know. Just like Mike Hammer doesn't know. And from the way it's shot to the way it's plotted, it leaves you in the same things where you're like Mike Hammer. You just don't know what's really going on. You're just bouncing from thread to breadcrumb to breadcrumb. Now, granted, when it first came out, people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Too sexual, too violent. You know That happens a lot. Yeah, though. but... Uh, I thoroughly enjoy this movie. I, Ralph Meeker does a fantastic... Everybody in this movie does a good job. And Ralph Meeker himself, like, this is the Mike Hammer. I'm going to have to go back and look at the Darren McGavin Mike Hammers. Because I remember the stage. But I, I like this version of Mike Hammer, even though I find him to be a very despicable person. What about you? 100%. Even before we did it for this, this was one of my favorite film noirs. One of my favorite movies. It's just such a fantastic piece of filmmaking. Even if you take the film noir aspect out of it, 
It's, it's shot well, it's written well, it's acted well, it's just staged well. It's not even that I recommend it. I think, I think it's important for people to see this, you know, because it is. It's a great influential film. Absolutely. Nothing else. You're, you're going to find, you, I guarantee anybody listening to this, if you haven't seen this, you know a movie that was influenced by this or is paying homage to it in some way, shape, or form. I think we're both in agreement on both things. Yeah. I don't think we've had a beer yet that one of us hasn't recommended. No. But I rec- Deep Roots uh, Amber Ale from Three Weavers. Thank, thanks again, Three Weavers. You'll be seeing me soon across the board. They do such a wide variety of beers. That, that's one thing I love is they, they do the Ambers. They have a, a bunch of different styles. Any beer drinker who goes in. Wonderful vibe down there. The people are great. If you live in Southern California, you know it's pretty readily available at different liquor stores and beer stores. Yeah, what's your take? You like the beer? Uh, absolutely. I- I'm looking forward to actually finally going down and visiting the brewery down in Inglewood. Might be going next Saturday. So. Oh. <laughs> oh, birthday weekend. Well, you know, I'm sure you have plans, but I might have. I might have 10 of those four-pack holders for you. Get you a beer for a dollar. And this so, is our 50th episode. It is our 50th. So it's it, thank you to everybody who's been along for the ride and, and you know, recommend you know some other people if you like if you enjoy us let other people know this wraps up episode 50 of beer and b movies absolutely so please like subscribe and comment wherever you listen follow us on instagram facebook and twitter and check out our website this is beer and b movies i'm michael and i'm jason Jason.